This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. When Sean Bumstark was 25, he was diagnosed with Friedrich's ataxia, a rare, debilitating, and life-shortening disease. His doctor advised him to avoid activities where balance was critical, such as biking, hiking, or running. He told Bumstark he should move to a home without stairs and install handrails. A month later, Bumstark bought a bike and set off on a 650-mile trek from his home in Sacramento to Las Vegas. Among the many things he does today, his determinants program provides people with rare conditions, training, assistance, and equipment to complete challenging physical feats such as climbing mountains or running in marathons. We spoke to Bumstark about his own rare disease diagnosis, how it became a turning point in his life, and how he's learned to embrace life so fully. Sean, thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about Friedrich's Ataxia, your organization, Determinants, and the work you do to help others live lives beyond their diagnosis and disease. You know, perhaps we can begin with Friedrich's Ataxia. What is it? How does it manifest itself? And how does it progress? Sure. So Friedrich's Ataxia is the degenerative neuromodulation that um, kind of shows up randomly in children when both parents have a damaged gene. That damaged gene doesn't affect the parents, but they can pass it on to the child. The FA works different than everybody that gets it. So sometimes it progresses at a faster um, rate than others and Sometimes that rate could be super aggressive or the deterioration in the body can be very aggressive. Uh, I say it affects every major, it's a multi-system condition that affects almost everything but somebody's brain or cognitive abilities. So for me, um, I say it kind of came to a head for me when I was 25. I was having some balance and fatigue issues. We're not so they diagnosed FA and part of the symptoms that I deal with today, of course, like I mentioned, are fatigue, uh, balance. My gait distribution is pretty well destroyed or jeopardized. It threatens to put me in a wheelchair, scoliosis, a slurred speech. In severe cases, folks lose their eyesight, their ability to talk, their hearing. And, of course, uh, the most devastating part about FA 
is the effect that it has on the heart and how it ends life early due to heart disease that, that ends the door for it. Are, are there treatments available today at all? No, right now, no treatments, uh, no cure, although there's a lot going on. Currently, today, there's, uh, there's no answer yet. You mentioned you were diagnosed when you were 25. How did you come to be diagnosed, and what did the doctor tell you about your activities and the things you need to avoid when you were diagnosed? Sure, that's a, a, a relevant and a good question I appreciate. For me, I think my... My uh, journey of diagnosis is quite different than most. A lot of folks that I've been able to meet go either undiagnosed for a long period of time or misdiagnosed. Luckily for me, I had a pretty good doctor at the time that wanted to really dig until there were some answers found. So I saw a few specialists over the course of about two months. Finally, a neurologist is the last person I saw, and she was able to identify certain conditions as being symptoms of two or three different diseases she was familiar with. So she tested specifically for Friedrich's ataxia, and that diagnosis came just about two months into the whole process. So for me, it happened rather quickly. When I was diagnosed, um, the doctor or geneticist sat down with me and explained that I would lose my ability to walk um, and really be independent. Um, so at the time, he told me I should really start thinking about maybe buying a house that's conducive to a wheelchair and has handrails and uh, maybe stop running and be careful and don't ride a bike and maybe just do everything, all your exercises in a pool because that's safer. Um, so basically, he told me to prepare for the worst in, in a short matter of time. And being the compliant patient you are, what did you do? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, of course, in the moment, I said, okay, well, this is interesting, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. Um, and, of course, I go home that day thinking, man, none of this seems to make sense to me. Besides fatigue and running into walls every now and then, I, I feel fine. Um, so I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run and walk and climb mountains and work out in the gym and do everything I can right now while I still can because if what this doctor is telling me is true, someday will come where I won't have the option um, that I'll be stuck in a wheelchair or bound to a chair and, and dependent on other people and other things. So I, I began doing some pretty uh, crazy adventures, in, in my opinion. They're crazy. As a kid, you didn't exhibit much interest in sports. Today you do ambitious bike rides, hiking trips, and workout in what I gather is a rather intense routine. Can you give a sample of some of the high-intensity things you've done? Sure. Um, so you're right. As a child, I was more interested in uh, playing the piano and being an actor. But when somebody tells you you won't be able to ride a bike or even walk up or downstairs, uh, I begin to have a different perspective and appreciation for physical abilities. So... Um, the first thing I did was meet some other FAA patients, and I went out and bought a bike 
and participated in some pretty phenomenal or long-distance bike rides to help raise awareness and research money for this condition. The first bike ride I went on was from Sacramento, California to Las Vegas, Nevada at 650 or so miles, and that took about 13 days. Um, uh, two years later, it teamed up with a couple of other friends and we rode our bikes across country. Known as, we participated as Team Farah in what's known as Race Across America, and that was a bike race coast-to-coast nonstop at one point, or at, at all times, one of the four of us were pedaling. It was a relay-style race. Um, I've also attempted to climb White Mountain and Mount Whitney, two of the tallest peaks in California, um, and those were those are some of the bigger elements I've done. Uh, some long-distance running, the Reno Tahoe Odyssey is a 178-mile relay race. I have a team, and we've been doing that for the last five years, and then uh, a couple of years in the Napa Ragnar Relay Series, which is also a 200-mile relay race in the course of 30 hours. I'd like to talk about your organization, Determinants, which you spell D-E colon Terminants. Can you explain the meaning? Absolutely. When I was first diagnosed, I began doing some day hikes to wrap my head around what what the future might hold. And me and some friends, what we the key words that we were choosing to use in the moment were, you know, it's going to take some determination, some resilience, some grit, some consistency. And when I set out to start an organization that would help other people find some motivation and a little bit of hope and resources to get out and do things like these hikes and bike rides, um, the two words that stuck out were determination and resilience. So we put those two words together, came up with determinants. And the significance of the um, colon is really to differentiate between uh, defeating something and then letting, or letting something defeat you. So we do obtain our words. We're going to defeat, defy, uh, anything that is that we're up against and do what we can while we can simply because we can so the hybrid of the word and the significance of the core. You're planning a, a, a long-term campaign to hike California's 14ers, each, each peak in the state, greater than 14,000 feet. Each of these hikes right. you're going to do with two rare disease patients when you work with people who have a rare condition who you're preparing for a, a mountain climb like that, what types of issues do you need to address and, and how do you prepare them for that feat? Sure. It all begins with their particular condition or abilities. What we're up against is really going to be dependent on the folks that want to get out and join us. Um, we might need adaptive equipment. Our first hike, which was just uh, in August of this year, our first hike in August, the two folks that went, it was me and another emergency patient, and we're both fairly independent still and upright. And so we didn't need a lot of uh, adaptive equipment. But next year I'm anticipating we might need a pretty gnarly uh, mountain 
walker or a mountain bike or, or whatever else somebody might need to get up to the top of the peak. Um, so it's a hard question to answer right now, but of course we've got to be cognizant of somebody's ability. We want to get them to a summit safely. Um, if we move slow, we might need to plan a trip that takes several days to get to the top. You know, you can't always just do it in a seven or eight hour day. It, it may require some extra rest periods or even an overnight sleepover on the side of a mountain somewhere. Uh, so it's going to depend on, on the abilities of the individuals who are trying to get to the top. Of course, safety would be the biggest concern. It seems like around the time you got your diagnosis, life wasn't going all that well for you. you you've written about dealing with a range of issues in your life. You were waiting tables and selling cigarettes and lotto tickets at a gas station. <laughs> what happened that led you to embrace your life with so much gusto and be an inspiration to others? Now, that's uh, probably a long story, but I'll do my best to keep it short. Um, I began to realize that there was so much more life than the hardship or the challenge that somebody's up against, and in my case, me. Um, you know, I'd gone through a, a significant career change. I'd gone through a significant change in relationships with people I had known for years, and I just began to realize that um, in order for me to succeed in life and to have any level of influence, I've got to be true to myself. And so I began to say, you know, whether that has to do with my disease or my sexual preference or whatever else might show up in my life, I first and foremost have to be true and accept who I am and what I can do today and live by those things in mind. And if that opens up doors, awesome. If it doesn't, that's okay, too, because I'm still Sean and I still breathe and, and walk. So let's do what I can today in spite of any challenge that might show up. Your message, I imagine, speaks to many people from many walks of life. Do you ever hear from people without a rare condition who find your message resonates with them? I do. Um, probably more recently because I've been, uh, lately this year, I've been a lot more open about other issues in my life. And keeping a blog and talking about things on a podcast that I also help co-host, it has opened the doors for dialogue and just people reaching out that maybe have different struggles in life that have nothing to do with health or disability. So, yes, absolutely. I've, I've been privileged to chat and connect with people that just have a hardship, although that hardship has nothing to do with their health. You talked about the podcast. I wanted to mention Kyle Bryant. Uh, who's Kyle Bryant, and, and how did you two meet? Yes, um, probably one of the most significant influencers in my life and one of my best friends. Uh, at the time I was diagnosed, I knew nobody. I went online and started Google searching, probably like most people do when they're up against a disease they've never heard of. And Kyle Bryant kept popping up in local news, you know, platforms. And I tracked him down, I think, on Facebook or an email, and I said, man, Kyle, 
apparently you have the same condition I do, and we live in the same city, so can we meet? And, of course, he agreed to meet with the same age, so we met for a pizza and a beer one night, and, and that was in 2007, just a few weeks after I was diagnosed, and we've been friends ever since. So I talked about those bike rides. He's been involved in all of them. He led the charge in, in all those big events, and to this day, he and I co-host um, the podcast together. We've been, our bike race across America is this kind of the story of a um, documentary film that's available right now. So we've, we've done a lot of work together in the Rivsey space or in the community of Friedrich Ataxia. The documentary is the Ataxian. Where, where can people find that? It sort of just came out here. It's available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, some other random, you know, movie film platforms online. But it's all online. And the easiest way is searching The Ataxian or visiting The Ataxian Film or ataxianmovie.com. And there are links to all of those, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, and more. And the podcast you mentioned is is the Two Disabled Dudes podcast. Where can people find that? Uh, same idea. Um, we push folks to iTunes or any podcast um, app that folks prefer, but twodisableddudes.com is where we stream our podcast, and of course, there are links to any of their platform from there as well. Sean Bumstark, advocate, speaker, podcaster. Sean, thanks so much for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Danny. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.